Good to be with you, Mansfield Bible Church. Uh, as he said, I did grow up here, so it's like especially special to be here and to get to connect with you guys. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to open up the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, I'm excited to see what he has for us. Um, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, as he said, my name is Andrew, uh, and I am one of your partner missionaries, work with the International Missions Organization of the Navigators at the University of South Florida doing campus ministry. Um, I was hoping to bring my family here, but they were unable to make it this weekend. We're hoping to come later in the spring for a week and to be at church with you. Uh, so I just thought I'd show you a picture real quick of them uh, so you could get a little bit more info about who we are. So I'm going to show you a picture of uh, my wife, Sarah, and our two little boys. Uh, if not, you can just envision it. Uh, there we go. Bam. Uh, that's Noah, who's five, and Silas, who's three, and my wife, Sarah, who works part-time with the Navigators. Um, and we love Mansfield Bible Church. You guys have supported us for many, many years. Um, and so thanks for um, all of that. I'll tell you thank you again later and hopefully in the middle as well. Um, hey, our, our goal in our ministry uh, on campus is to raise up mature men and women of faith who are going to go and fill the church, the worldwide church, and to reach the, the world with the gospel and be lifelong disciple makers. That's what we're about. Um, I saw last week uh, on the video screen that Pastor Greg got up and reminded you that during this February missions month that you have here, it's an opportunity to participate in Acts 1-8, that Jesus' instruction for the church is to reach locally, expanding over to the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that kind of bullseye that goes inside out. I was thinking this week that I think following that analogy, I'm somewhere like in the Judea, Samaria, kind of part of that analogy, um, but I'm excited not only to tell you about a, a random college campus in Florida, but rather how your support, your resources, your financial giving, your prayers are making disciples on the strategic training ground of the college campus and where every year God is raising up through us and mobilizing students to go and reach the world for Jesus. And I say students because we're not mobilizing pastors or professionals. We're trying to mobilize regular, ordinary people who have extraordinary faith in God and capacity to believe that he would use their lives in whatever context he would send them. And that's actually where I want to take us this morning. I want to talk about this idea of laborers in the harvest. Then I want to look at this passage of scripture in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and this idea of, of Jesus and this interaction he has with his disciples. And specifically, I want to look at two problems that he brings up to them that he highlights in the middle of his kind of busy ministry season, and then the solution that he gives. And then kind of woven throughout, I'm hoping to tell you uh, some updates, some stories, and just kind of what our structures are, the way that we're trying to join in on God's vision to reach the world, specifically through college students at USF. And so let me pray, let me dedicate our time to the Lord, uh, and then we'll read that passage together. Father, thanks for uh, the ability to be here. We pause uh, now to orient our hearts to the reality of your presence. We are, are gathered here today in this room or online to give you the worship that you're due. Would you prepare us for what you want to communicate through your word? Would you steady uh, our hearts and our minds from frets and worries that we might be walking in here with? Would you uh, free us from distractions? Would you speak now and would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God? We pray that in your name. Amen. If you got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. If you want to look at the words, I'll also throw it up on the screen for you. We're going to be in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So pick up with me in 35, it says, and Jesus went 
throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So before we jump too deep into the passage, I want to point out just a couple of things that I think kind of frame the content of this particular narrative in terms of Jesus's strategy. And the first is that this passage really illustrates that Jesus is doing some overall broad ministry. Right here at the beginning, we see Jesus's broad ministry to many different types of people. If you look at those first words, you see those big sweeping statements. It's all the cities and the villages and he's healing diseases and afflictions. And they don't give us a a number of people that he's interacting with, but we know from the different gospel accounts that at this point in his ministry, he's helping a large volume of different kind of folks and he's doing a lot of different things. If you look at all the action words that are in this little passage, it describes how he's engaging with people. It says that he went, right? He's taking initiative and he's ministering by being there and going to where they're at. It says that he's teaching. He's ministering to people's minds. He's ministering to them intellectually. He's preaching. He's ministering to their wills and he's charging people. You should go. You can do this. You can walk with God and he's ministering volitionally to them. He's healing them. He's making sick people feel better. And he's meeting their real right now needs. He's meeting their needs physically and ministering physically. It says he saw the crowds. He had eyes to see and an awareness to see what was happening around him. And he's ministering selflessly. He had compassion. He's feeling deeply. He's ministering out of his emotions. Man, there's a lot of different hats that Jesus is wearing, a lot of different people that he's uh, ministering to in meeting. And so this is this undeniable broad ministry of Jesus that are often these big shining moments across the gospel narratives. But at the same time, the passage lands in a place where we also see that he has selective ministry. That in the midst of these bigger moments, Jesus was one who was always investing in a few That he's traveling along and he's ministering to all these people in the ways we just discussed, but he's always got one group with him, and that's the disciples we see in 37. And from what we can infer in this passage and kind of the greater context of scripture is that the most consistent thing about these guys is that they were around Jesus. We don't get a lot about their personalities. We get some about Peter. We, We don't get a ton about their thoughts or their dreams. No, the notable and consistent qualifier for who they were is that they were with Jesus. They were there on the way from this city to that city. They were there during all of those teachings. They were there immediately after that miracle. They were probably whispering to each other in kind of the weird moments like, he just spit on that guy's eyes. That was weird, but it worked. (laughs) These guys saw behind the curtain. They saw it all. They saw him in action. They saw him getting messy in the lives of people. And it's in front of these few that he's investing in right now where he reveals this particular teaching and these two problems and this solution that we're going to highlight today. Pick up with me in 36 to see problem number one. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Problem number one is shepherdless sheep. Shepherdless sheep. 
And I included that verse in that context before because I think the verse out of context, it sounds like just kind of simple and cute. Like it's just a sweet analogy about like a cuddly sheep. And that, that's true, there is an element of that, but I feel like you could just take it and like Instagram it over a sunset. And I think it's bigger than that. That Jesus in this moment, in this specific context, who's been broadly ministering, as we just established, he's gone throughout all of the different cities and he's seeing these great crowds of people and he's seeing their problems, that they're riddled with physical ailments and disease, that when he sees all of that, he's moved, he's overwhelmed with compassion, his heart breaks, and it's not primarily for their physical needs. And it's not primarily even for their earthly social needs, their financial issues, what they were experiencing as this oppressive Roman rule that was over them. No, his heart breaks first for their spiritual need. He says they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're alone. They're unable to solve their problems. Jesus doesn't say they need medicine. He doesn't seem, they say they need money or organizational infrastructure or they need better technology or even theological and religious training. He says they need a guide. They need a shepherd for their souls. They need relationship with God. And I wonder what it was like as he's sharing this with the disciples to have this language and to be reminded of the metaphor of a shepherd, one that I think would have definitely perked their ears up a little, thinking to their own ancestor, King David, in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Shout out to the Mansfield Bible Church kids program in the mid-90s that stuck that one deep in here. (laughs) Jesus pulls out that familiar shepherd analogy. And even King David, in his most famous psalm, he highlights that same spiritual need above all others. Because if you think about Psalm 23, it's not that it communicates complete escape from enemies. It doesn't communicate total freedom from evil and pain and suffering in the life of the valley of the shadow of death. Rather, it's who is with me in the midst of it. It's the shepherd who walks with me, whose rod and staff comfort me through my life circumstances. At least uh, once a year, usually during the first week of the beginning of uh, our fall semester on campus, I sit on a bench in the middle of campus uh, with some of my teammates who I work with on Navigator staff, and it's usually when students are moving in or they're going to their first classes that week, and we think about verse 36. And to me, there are few other places in the world where compassion can come so alive than on the bustling college campus. When I think about the demographic of a college student, a kind of 18 to 24 year old, and in particular, I think of the new college freshman on the campus, a shepherdless sheep is not too far off. Alone, independent for the first time, in a new environment, maybe lost, walking around with a big campus map trying to find their classes. Searching, not only for their classes, but searching and looking for life. What clubs? What major, what relationships, what internships, what career is going to give me life? What's going to feed my soul? And they need the shepherd. 
one of our roles on campus is to lead students to the shepherd and to create environments where they can do that. And so students who are involved with us and the navigators at USF, um, it kind of looks like an extracurricular club that students are involved with. And so a typical student would be involved with us in a, in a couple different ways, and I'll show you some pictures to illustrate those ways. Um, maybe a, a common way that they'd be involved with us is they'd come to our nav night. And that's our weekly worship uh, evening where students gather together in community and where we get to worship God through music and through teaching of the Bible. And so this is an interactive uh, environment where we get to teach on the basics of walking with God, the basics of the Christian faith. And so we're talking about the word and why it's important and how to have a quiet time. We're teaching about prayer and what that looks like. We're teaching about fellowship and sharing your faith and obedience. And this is just a, a vessel. It's a way that we want to raise up mature believers by laying the building blocks of a life walking with the shepherd, walking with God. And so whether they're first-time Bible openers or they were leaders in their youth group, this is where we get to meet kind of a, a broad ministry, a lot of students, especially those who are like me coming from a faith background when I got to college and looking to be involved in a campus ministry. And we get to train them in this environment. We love that avenue for meeting students. It's important. But of even more primary importance is Navigator Bible Study. Bible study is by far our favorite thing to do. It's like our real bread and butter because it's here that we see the most life transformation happen in the life of a student. At USF, we have about 90 students who are in Bible study this year. And a lot of things happen in that Bible study environment that helps them know the shepherd. I could go on and on. I limited it to three for you, so I didn't go too long. The first one is it teaches them about real biblical community. It teaches them that fellowship isn't a bunch of Christians who are just gathered in a room, but that they can vulnerably walk through life together and sharpen and encourage one another in their faith. And it's amazing to see a group of people who really go after it, who really connect and bear their soul and start walking with God and see them march through the years of college towards graduation. The second one is it teaches them skills in the Bible. In the Navigators, we tend to do inductive Bible studies. Or we don't give a, a ton of questions, but rather we give the text and we teach them how to pick it apart and how to make skillful observations that lead to deep insights and principles about God's character. Because we want to set them up for not, a, not only a great college experience in the Bible, but also a lifetime of knowing how to rightly handle the word of God for themselves. And the third one is it teaches them about real life application. We believe the Bible is not just a dusty old book with some good advice, but it's the very words of God that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and that when we're interacting with it, we're interacting with God and we leave changed. And so we try to emphasize having a prayerful posture of application, of leaving to say, what's one specific area that I can move forward in understanding who God is, who he says I am, and walking out my Christian life? Who can keep me accountable to that? So Bible studies like these and, and nav nights, those are just two major ways on campus where we're trying to train students to stay anchored to God, not only in their college years, but for a lifetime. We're, we're trying to develop a, a, an understanding of their lifelong need for them to run to the shepherd's voice, that they need to consistently be building that habit, and we want to help them build that habit and that pattern early in life in this formative and strategic time. Like Jesus mentioned, we, we know that that's their true need. The college campus, what a great place to equip them there first. That's problem number one. Jump back in the passage with me and we'll see problem number two. Verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. So problem number one was shepherdless sheep. Problem number two is ripe fruit. There is ripe fruit. There is fruit that needs to be picked and that no one is picking. He kind of shifts to a different metaphor here, like this agricultural metaphor. But I was uh, feeling surprised as I was thinking this past week about how relatable that actually feels to me. Back home in Tampa, Florida, on the side of my house, I have a little tangerine tree in my yard. And I talk with the USF students about this tree a lot because I loved the idea of this tree when I moved there. I could visualize myself five years ago. I saw this tree. I saw the little like buds of orange fruit growing. And I was like, I'm going to be living my best life in Florida. Me and my family, we're going to be laughing and smiling. We're going to be pulling this Florida citrus gold. We're going to make juice. It's going to be amazing. And the thing about that is I didn't do that at all. I don't pay attention to this tree. I don't take care of this tree. I kind of forget it exists. And instead what happens is these little like tangerine things, they, they over ripen and then they kind of rot and fall off. You guys know cuties at the grocery store? Like those little tangerines in the little bag that you can buy? It's like if a cutie was a zombie, it's like that. Okay, they fall and then you step on them and they explode and they're gross. It's a waste. It's ripe fruit that needed to be picked in its time. And it was growing independent of me. They just grow. Jesus and and his disciples in that moment, maybe they're walking by a grain field or ones nearby. In other moments, he's used the same metaphor of, of a branch and its fruit like he talks about in John 15. But he uses this similar analogy to portray spiritual work that's happening behind the scenes in the life of a person. And I love that it's built around this core truth that God is at work. That God loves people and is doing a work inside of them and that there's people whose hearts are in motion, who want to know him, who are desperate for him, even if they don't know it. And God chooses to use and need laborers to come and to harvest to come and to investigate where God has been giving growth, where he's been at work, and to be a part of his plan to bring it to fruition. Right, there is ripe fruit. On campus at USF, we try to reach the harvest field in a variety of ways, but a key distinctive and something we tend to emphasize in our organization is one-on-one disciple-making. And the navigators, we wholeheartedly believe that every person can make a difference one life at a time. We see that all over the scriptures. And my favorite place that we see it, the verse that we talk every time, and I probably put on a slide every year I come to Mansfield Bible Church, is 2 Timothy 2.2, where you see Paul, this older believer, telling Timothy, who's walked with him for a lifetime, and he says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be able to teach others also. And I love this verse because it's just this little snapshot of what we would call spiritual generations. In this verse, you can see four generations and potential for unending generations, right? It's Paul investing in Timothy, the things that you heard me say, all my character, my teaching, all of that stuff. Invest in reliable men. And those reliable men will invest in others also. It's the idea of one person who's a day ahead of another, just even a day ahead, helping them through the basics of walking with God. One person investigating to see where is God at work and joining him in the work that he's doing. One life affecting one life, affecting one life in a chain of spiritual generations. 
And let me show you or highlight for you how, an example of how that works. So in 2016, when we moved to Tampa, I met a young independent freshman in my first month at my new job at USF named Cooper. And Cooper was rough around the edges. He had just recently come to Christ and he was very skeptical of campus ministries. And he was not about the navigators when I met him. But he wanted to get lunch with me or he, I tricked him because I bought him lunch. And we came and he started reading the Bible with me. And eventually, uh, we struck up this friendship. We started reading the Bible. He joined a Bible study I was leading. And you know what? Over time, God was growing Cooper. He grew and he matured in faith. He started to get a vision that God would use his life. And so at the end of his sophomore year, about a couple years into college, he started investing in a new freshman in our ministry named Derek. And Derek was the opposite of Cooper in every way. But Cooper identified in Derek a man who was full of youthful faith, He saw in him a desire to know God. And so he did with Derek what I did with him. He didn't know anything else. And so they read the Bible together and they prayed together and they shared their faith on campus together and with their friends. And soon Derek matured and grew and he became a leader of men. In his junior year, he began investing in a young sophomore named Andrew. And Andrew was goofy and wild, but he had a sincere desire to grow spiritually And Derek, though he felt scared and insecure and like he didn't know all of the answers, got a vision that God might even use his small efforts in his life. And so he just began doing what Cooper had done with him. And so they read the Bible together and they prayed together and they shared their faith on campus and with their friends. And now in in the spring semester of 2021 for us, Andrew is an upperclassman who's leading one of our Bible studies. And he's praying about investing in a younger student. He's asking God, would you give me one Would you give me one young guy that I can come alongside and help that he could multiply his life? So this is a picture, a small picture of disciples multiplying disciples. And though it's nice and neat, sometimes in our little navigator world or in our college ministry world, these men have and are still trusting God to try to make disciples even in their post-college context too right now. Cooper graduated uh, about 18 months ago and was working at an accounting firm. And he's trying to figure out how to share the gospel at work with his coworkers. His wedding kind of got all messed up in COVID and he got married in my backyard next to the tangerine tree and is still influencing Derek and others on campus with some of his extra time. And he's trying to navigate marriage and full-time work, but he's trying to make disciples. And Derek is a grad student who's still meeting with and encouraging Andrew on campus in the spare time he has in his schedule, which is not much, and he's leading and helping us. And these men, it's the same idea as 2 Timothy 2.2. Four generations. Cooper is 23 years old, and yet he is a spiritual grandfather. And I can't wait to see how God will continue to use the ripple effects from their investment, their obedience, their radical trust in God that he would use them to impact lives for generations. That's the beauty of college students. To be honest, sometimes I wake up and I think, I don't know if I want to go throw another party for college students or whatever on campus. But I start thinking, they're going to have children. They're going to have grandchildren, physical ones. And then I see them move to different countries And they go to different industries of work. And they take the gospel to cubicles and continents that I will never go to. And there's a long line of men whose picture I could have put before mine on that screen who influenced me. Josh and Nick and Brian. 
a picture not of superstars who are super spiritual, but faithful, ordinary men who were one day ahead and wanted to investigate where God was at work. We love one-on-one disciple making. We wanna build this DNA into our students that God can use their lives, that he can use them. And not only can he use them to invest in younger believers who they're a day ahead, but he can also use them to bring about new life in Christ. Because the beginning of discipleship, the beginning of the discipleship journey is evangelism. It's crossing from death to life. And the college campus is an amazing experiment ground for new ideas and for outreach and evangelism. In a typical year, we'd go out and get to share with students on campus. We get to teach, uh, I teach usually an eight-week class on evangelism and outreach to our students. We get to encourage and equip them to read the Bible with their friends and their classmates in the dorms and provide trainings on those kind of things. Several of you actually have reached out to me and connected and asked, how has outreach changed in the COVID-19 era? And it really has. Campus is a little bit more shut down. Um, and so there's, there's safety precautions that pose obstacles for us to stopping people on campus or being in proximity with close new students. It's been harder to recruit. And so it's been different. It's been challenging, but it's also been amazing to see God open up different avenues and inroads than we could have ever planned. Ones that are separate from our like navigator structures and systems and ministry, right? Always a good reminder that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, Amen. <laughs> And we're seeing cool things. We're seeing students who are sharing the gospel with their families and their siblings more than ever as they sit at home in quarantine. We saw some parents come to Christ last year. We're seeing more spiritual conversations in people's relational networks where gospel fruit is going that's outside of campus. And let me share one story to illustrate that. This girl uh, up on the left I'm gonna show you, her name is Tala, and she's a young leader in our ministry. My wife disciples Tala, and they sit down and they read the Bible uh, every week. And this past year, Tala felt like God was challenging her to be bold in her faith, that God wanted to use her life and even her little efforts, even though she felt insecure. And so Tala has a part-time job at Target. And this past fall, she started chatting with her new coworker, Matt. And Matt and Tala began having spiritual spiritual conversations about Matt's questions about religion. He didn't really grow up with that, and he had questions about spirituality. He had confusing questions about denominations and why they exist and all sorts of things like that. And Tala kind of became a safe place for those questions as they're moving boxes in the storeroom of a Target on Fowler Avenue. And she was engaging, and she didn't have all the answers to her questions, but she emphasized Jesus. She emphasized the Bible, and that's where truth could be found. And at some point, Tala transfers stores, but she wants to be faithful to this, this person's friendship that God has put on her radar. And so she connects Matt with Nick. If you've been coming to Mansfield Bible Church for five or six years, you might recognize Nick. Nick was a student that I brought here on stage with me about five or six years ago when he was a young college student that I was ministering to at a different university. Nick works with me full-time in the Navigators now. And Nick picked up that friendship and he started reading the Bible together with Matt. And each week for all of January and a little bit of December into February, Nick and Matt have been reading a chapter a week out of the book of John and talking about who is Jesus? Who is he in this passage? What's he about? What's he offering? And how does he relate with people? And between those spiritual conversations with Tala and the back stock room of Target on Fowler Avenue, and reading the book of John with Nick at a coffee shop, Matt put his faith in Jesus Christ. This happened 10 days ago, on the Friday before last. And Nick is going to keep meeting with Matt and help him continue on and learning the basics of walking with the shepherd. Isn't that cool? 
I love how clear this picture of, is of these gospel relationships with these faces on the screen of what it means to labor and to co-labor in the harvest fields with God. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 where he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he waters is, is anything. It's God who is giving the growth. And I love getting this clear picture to see that God was at work in Matt's life. God was growing the fruit. He was making the soil fertile. And yet in his good purposes, that fruit was harvested through the obedience, through the broken, insecure efforts of faithful laborers like Tala and Nick. Tala and Nick who don't have seminary degrees, who don't have extraordinary evangelism gifts and talents, but they listened and they responded to the spirit of God and the work he was doing. Which brings us back to the passage where Jesus takes us in Matthew 9. Jesus highlights those two problems, shepherdless sheep, ripe harvest, and he says there is one solution in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The solution to the problems is laborers. Laborers, and that that Greek word here, it translates to something like common field hand. This is someone who gets their hands and their clothes dirty, their body sore from working in the field and caring for the crops. This is someone who gets dirty from being involved in the lives of other people who need to be one to Jesus or who need to be taken to the shepherd. Jesus tells his disciples to pray for laborers and pray we should. But we know that at the end of Matthew, he will ultimately also ask them to be the answer to that prayer, won't he? He'll tell them, go and make disciples. Go be laborers from here to the ends of the earth. So I've shared how we're trying to do that on campus, how we're doing that at USF, and I've shared why I think it's it's strategic time to do it with college students. But I want to be clear that this, this vision is too small to be only lived out by 18 to 24-year-olds. I think they're strategic, but Jesus' invitation here is for all disciples, all common workers to join him in the work that he's doing. And so, friends at Mansfield Bible Church, let me ask you, let me challenge you. Where are your circles of influence where God has put you, where he might want to use you in the harvest field to solve these problems or to contribute to the work that he is doing? Where are the men and women in your life that he's placed around you where you uniquely can be a light for the gospel? Where are the harassed and helpless people who are looking for life, that friend, that neighbor, that coworker who you can take to the shepherd? And are you convinced that God can and wants to use your life that you don't have to be an expert to join him in his work. That you can step in and trust that he is the one doing the work. And that you could put your arm around another person and walk them to Jesus together. Friends, that's worth praying about. And I would challenge you that as you pray for more laborers, as you apply this passage, which does have this specific end to it, would you also be willing to be one? 
Let me wrap up by uh, saying thank you. Uh, thank you so much for um, your support of our ministry for many years. Your prayers, your financial support. It gives uh, me and Sarah and our team the freedom to live this vision out freely and unencumbered on campus. Uh, it's such a blessing for me that uh, every day I get to like put on a backpack and pretend like I'm a college student and go like try to fit in so I can read the Bible with students. Thank you for that privilege and that freedom. If you're not on our team and you're um, prayerfully considering how to steward your finances and your resources and you're giving this uh, missions month season, we'd love to invite you to prayerfully join us and co-labor with us um, for the gospel at USF. Um, We're always praying that God would bring new partners to allow us to be sustainable in that work and to carry out that vision. Would you pray for us? Would you pray that we would be able to catalyze um, disciple-making movements amongst college students so that we'd continue to do that in wise ways as we navigate this kind of funky time in our world and our our season and know that we are praying for you as well, uh, that we're praying specifically that you, Mansfield Bible Church, would be full of tons of ordinary people who are trusting God in extraordinary ways that he would use your efforts and your lives for his glory. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this time to gather with these friends um, to celebrate our, even our unique places in the body of Christ, Father. It's, it's such a joy to be here with them, to worship alongside them. Um, Thanks for your word that searches and knows the deep places of our hearts. And we ask, uh, uh, would you draw us closer together to relationship with you, that we would run to you, our shepherd, we'd run to your voice, and that you would enable us with a confidence that only comes from you, that we can labor in the lives of people. Father, thanks that uh, you tell us that the Father is always at work. Would we join you in that work? And we pray that in your name. Amen.